Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Well, friends, good evening. This is the small remnant that, uh, you know the Super Bowl is tonight, right? Is it? It's tonight? Okay, yeah. You'll get out of here in time, I think. So, <laughs> the uh, church celebrates this weekend World Marriage Sunday. I had marriage in the back of my mind when I was praying through these scriptures. I had a lot of contemporary world events and cultural events happening in my mind as I was praying through these scriptures. But first, a story about when I almost died when I was 11 years old. It's where you go, <gasps> apparently you don't care. Okay. 11 years old, I was on vacation with my family. We were down in the Bahamas and uh, spent a whole morning, me and my little brother, we'd been swimming in the pool and it was time for lunch. So the four of us, my mom, my dad, my brother and I, made our way to this poolside little restaurant for some lunch. And what I was going to get that day is what I had every day for lunch that vacation, which was a little personal cheese pizza, right? These little very cheesy personal cheese pizzas. So I'm 11 years old, husky, very hungry, and it's time for lunch. Pizza comes and I tear into this thing. It was like a scene out of Shark Week. You know, it was a feeding. So I'm eating this pizza. All of a sudden, I realized there was this strand of mozzarella cheese that had just like made its way down the back of my throat and then got stuck there, right? And I, you know, I'm initially, you know, trying to get it up and then nothing's happening. And inside, my world is ending. I'm freaking out. I stand up. I spill the drinks. I'm clutching my throat. I'm, my eyes are bugging out of my head. I'm trying to make noises. Nothing's coming out. At this point, every, everyone in the restaurant is now staring at my family, staring at me. And just as my dad gets up to do the Heimlich maneuver on me, somehow the cheese dislodged, came flying out of my mouth, landed on the table next to us, along with the most vomit I've ever seen in my life. It was horrifying, absolutely horrifying. So we didn't stay. Uh, I'm pretty sure my dad threw money at their table, paid for their meal. We got up, the four of us left, I'm crying, and my dad leans over to me and he's like, you know, you didn't have to make such a scene. I can look, on that, look back on that now and laugh, uh, but I was like, I was dying, you didn't care. <laughs> okay, so that's the scene that came to my mind as I was beginning to pray with all of these scriptures this, for this weekend. That image of desperate clutching at the throat, frantic, flailing, madness. I think it's the lens, if I can put it this way. We're about to take a deep dive. This is the lens, I think, to best understand what is happening in our culture and our world today. The ever-increasing insanity. I can't be the only one who watches the news or, you know, reads the feeds and thinks, it's getting crazier, right? Is it just me? No? Okay, I see a lot of shaking heads. Good. Here's a bit of what I'm talking about. Maybe you're one of the, the lucky few who don't know what happened at the Grammys last week, but in case you don't, let me just fill you in. At the Grammys last week, uh, just after First Lady Dr. Jill Biden presented an award, that just gives you a clue of how absolutely mainstream this is, that the First Lady is there doing this. Sam Smith, uh, artist, I put him in scare quotes, an artist took the stage, dressed as Satan, 
and again performed what can only be described as an occult satanic ritual on stage. Not joking, right? I'm, this, is not a, this is not a priest's exaggeration. This is what happened. The satanic ritual was performed on stage surrounded by all these androgynous, demonic, tortured soul figures and you have the Grammys mainstreaming Satanism, CBS airing this to, you know, a very, very young and impressionable audience. We now live in a country where it's uh, normal to read headlines like the New York City courthouse erects a satanic statue in honor of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, honoring her long career defending abortion rights. I'm not making it up. Look it up. It's this horrifying golden Medusa figure, New York City courthouse. We live in a country where our Catholic president has reacted to the Dobbs decision, which overturns Roe versus Wade, Casey versus Planned Parenthood, significant pro-life victories. He's reacted to these victories uh, not with celebration, not with joy like the Catholic Church has, but with what can only be described as a fiery determination that this would be overturned that abortion rights will be secured on the federal level for all time. Again, that's our Catholic president. And the loudest applause that came during the State of the Union last week happened when President Biden got up there and was saying that him and Vice President Harris are going to be working strenuously to address this massive injustice, the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Thunderous applause for the murder of babies. We live in a country and at a time where gender ideologues are aggressively going after children as young as preschool, pre-K, to indoctrinate, to confuse them about who they are, their bodies, what does it mean to be a boy, what does it mean to be a girl, and effectively to groom them into a hypersexualization that children have no business being exposed to at their age. Why? Because they hope that eventually these kids who've been so brainwashed will elect to submit themselves to the gender transition pipeline that will have them taking puberty blockers as kids, cross-sex hormones in their teenage years, and then submit to very invasive, mutilating, life-changing surgeries. All at the gunpoint of, would you rather have a, dead, a, a, a living son or a dead daughter? Blackmail, such emotional blackmail. All of this is happening to kids who aren't old enough to buy a beer at the bar. This is happening in our country. And it's close to home too, right? We live in a town. We live in a town that was attempting, and I think might still be attempting, I haven't been on social media to, to look at it, but to host a quote-unquote family-friendly drag queen story hour in March. What? <laughs> like this stuff is not over there in those cities or those states. This stuff is here. It's here. Where's all this coming from? Ultimately, it's coming from the enemy who is frantically flailing and clutching at his throat, gasping like I was in that restaurant, choking to death because Our Lady has her heel on the throat, on the neck of the enemy. She has her heel on the neck of our enemy and his tail is whipping like mad, the serpent's tail. And our culture, everything I just described, everything I just named, all of this commotion, it's the enemy frantic, gasping before his final defeat. And his final defeat, it is coming. It's guaranteed. It was promised at Fatima. 
right? Mary said, in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. But first, first there will be great suffering and great trial. That's also guaranteed. I'll tell you another story. About two years before he was elected to the papacy, then Karol Wojtyla, Archbishop of Krakow, Karol Wojtyla came to the United States in 1976 for our country's bicentennial celebration. And he made a very powerful prophetic statement. He said this, we are now standing in the face of the greatest historical confrontation humanity has gone through. Mind you, this is Karol Wojtyla, who grew up in Poland, lived through Nazism, lived through communism, totalitarianism, monstrous piles of corpses. He's saying that now, in 1976, humanity is facing the greatest historical confrontation we've ever gone through. And I do not think that wide circles of American society or wide, wide circles of the Christian community realize this fully, he said. We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church of the gospel versus the anti-gospel. We must be prepared, he says, to undergo great trials in the not-too-distant future. Trials that will require us to be ready to give up even our lives and a total gift of self to Christ and for Christ. Through your prayers and mine, it is possible to alleviate this tribulation, he says, but it is no longer possible to avert it. How many times has the renewal of the church been brought about in blood? It will not be different this time. It was Carol Wojtyla in 1976. Well, fast forward to 1978. Pope Paul VI has died and the cardinals of the church come to Rome to elect the next pope. First conclave of 1978, they elect a guy named Albino Luciani. Carol Wojtyla was there. Cardinal Wojtyla was there. He brought with him a handwritten manuscript that he'd been working on for several decades at that point. The title of which was Theologia Chala, which is Polish for Theology of the Body. He began writing it on December 8th, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. It was dedicated to Mary. You are all beautiful, Mary, he wrote on the front page. Theologia Chala. He planned to work on it in between the voting sessions of the conclave. What was this Theologia Chala? What was this Theology of the Body, this manuscript that he had? It was his life's work. It was his long-studied contemplation and reflection on human love in the divine plan of God. It was the answer that Pope Paul VI was calling for when he wrote Humanae Vitae, where he asked for, this was 1968, he asked for in order to understand the church's teaching on contraception, he said we need a new total vision of the human person, a new anthropology. We need to understand who we are if you're going to understand this church teaching. This is what theologia, chala, theology of the body was. It was a total vision of the human person answering the question, where do we come from? Where are we going? How do we get there? What is the meaning of our humanity? What is the meaning of our masculinity and our femininity? What's the meaning of sexuality, our embodiment? All of these mysteries... Theologia Chala is this profound re reflection on how the family, complementarity, masculinity, femininity are the great icons that reveal the heart of the mystery. It's the heart of the story of salvation. 
This is what he was working on. So he worked on this monumental tome, like I said, in between the sessions. The, con- the conclave ends, the cardinals elect Albino Luciani, who takes the name Pope John Paul I. Pope John Paul I, he reigns as Pope for 33 days. He does a Wednesday general audience on hope, one on faith, one on love. And then he's like, I'm out of here. And he dies. He's like, I said all there was to say. All the cardinals come back to Rome for the second conclave of 1978. I'm sure they were a little bit frustrated. We just got, we were just there. They come back to Rome in 1978 and they elect the first non-Italian in over 500 years, Carol Wojtyla, the Archbishop of Krakow. The one man in all of human, who was alive at the time, the single man who arguably had alone the antidote to the chaos that was in enfolding in the culture. Like the, sing, the one person who was best equipped to answer the chaos and confusion that was surrounding society, confusing so many people, he now had a global stage to teach the world. He began teaching the world as she was entering into this historical confrontation between the anti-church and the church and the anti-gospel and the gospel, the anti-Christ and the Christ. Right? Archbishop Wojtyla, Pope John Paul II, Pope John Paul II was raised up in history to answer the chaos that we are living through right now. His pontificate is more relevant today than it ever was when he was alive. Believe me. And there were diabolical forces that did not want him to do what he was doing. They did not want him to inject this antidote of truth into the bloodstream of the culture. It was Wednesday, May 13th, 1981, the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima. Pope John Paul II, he's riding through St. Peter's Square in the Pope Mobile, signing books, kissing babies, you know, doing all those sorts of things, waving to the crowd. That day, May 13, 1981, he was planning on announcing to the world two major things. He was going to be announcing the establishment of the Pontifical Council for Family and the foundation of the International Institute on Studies of Marriage and the Family, the JP2 Institute as, as it's known. These two realities, are they were going to be the two evangelical arms that the Pope was creating to further get out into the world this teaching that he's giving. The day that he's announcing this, the day that he's announcing this, as he's coming through St. Peter's Square, a communist hired assassin named Ali Akka fires three bullets from basically point-blank range into the Pope's abdomen, and he goes down. He's bleeding like crazy. Akka takes off running. A nun spots him, and she tackles him to the ground. True story. I don't know why this is not a movie yet. A nun tackles and subdues this communist assassin. And the nun's name, sit down, okay, good, Sister Lucia. Sister Lucia, named after the Sister Lucia, the visionary of Fatima. You can't make this stuff up. That same day, Rome's top trauma surgeon, he wasn't working that day. But as he reported, I was at home and I just felt compelled by the Holy Spirit, get up, you got to go to work today. So he said, I did. I started driving to work. He turns on the radio and he hears the Holy Father's been shot. He's like, oh, this is why I got to go to work today. And he slams on the gas. And the drive that should normally take about 30 minutes took 
less than 10 minutes. There's no traffic, all green lights, another miracle. You can, to this day, you can visit the spot in St. Peter's Square where John Paul II was shot. It's literally directly beneath the gaze of an icon of Our Lady. It's like she was looking down right where it happened. Again, May 13th, the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima. He took one of the bullets that was removed from his body and he inserted it into the crown of Our Lady of Fatima. It just so happened that that crown that was built, that was made for the statue of Our Lady decades earlier, there just so happened to be a little hollow spot on the bottom of the crown that just so happened to perfectly fit that bullet. He put it in there. Friends, what the Lord said through the prophet Sirach that we heard today continues to remain so true. Before man, the Lord said, are life and death, good and evil. That's what's at stake. Life and death, good and evil. Whichever he chooses shall be given him. Marriage and family are under attack. The dignity of the human person is under attack. Masculinity, femininity, it's under attack. Our embodiment, our bodies, they're under attack. Why? Because there is an enemy. There's an enemy who hates our humanity out of envy because of the high dignity and calling that the Lord has for us as his human creatures. Lower than the angels, we are destined to be raised above the angels. We are destined to be divinized, to be joined into the very heart and life of the Trinity, something that the angels can only gaze upon from the outside. So out of envy for this destiny, the enemy has gone to war against our humanity. Which you have to understand that for the most part, those who are swept up into the madness of the enemy, I'm talking about from abortion advocates to the defenders and promoters of everything having to do with the LGBTQ agenda, the gender clinicians and surgeons, the marriage equality advocates, all of these people, first of all, none of them are the enemy. Those are your brothers and sisters who I hope one day will stand with me shoulder to shoulder in the kingdom as saints. None of them are the enemy. Number two, God loves them more than you can imagine. And number three, they're just confused about what real compassion is. This is the bottom line. Like, it's a good motivation to say, I don't want people to be hurt. I don't want people to be bullied. I don't want people to be ostracized. I don't want people to feel victimized. But as Ratzinger, Benedict said, only what's true can be truly compassionate. Only what's true can be truly compassionate. Only what's true can be truly loving. Only what's true can be truly liberating. They are not the enemy or our enemy, but we have to know that there is an enemy and he's after our flesh. At the center of all of this is our flesh, our human flesh. And the divine flesh, like our flesh that is male or female, it's fallen flesh, but it's flesh that's destined for divinization and redemption, right? Christ came to redeem our bodies through the gift of his body that will happen in this Mass as soon as I finish preaching. The gift of the bridegroom, his body to the bridal body of the church. And at the heart of all of it is the cross right there. There's no victory without the cross. Back to Wojtyla's words, he says, there will be suffering. The anti-church and the anti-gospel propose heaven without the cross, glory without suffering. 
It's a false path. We have to go the way of our Lord. There will always be suffering in love and love in suffering. The church's victory will look like Christ's victory, which looked like apparent defeat, but just give it three days. Give it three days. As Our Lady said, in the end, my immaculate heart, my immaculate heart, my pure heart will triumph, which is why we have hope. Amen.